every week. It's search for the clicker time. <laughs> That's okay. Change and growth is the focus today of the 11th chapter of Acts. As the church carries the message of Christ into this ever-changing world, we should not view change itself as an enemy. Our God does not change, but our view of God must remain open to change. Otherwise, we'll never personally develop or transform, and the church won't grow. The church moves on. In the, the larger scope of, of the story that Luke is writing in this book entitled The Actions of the Apostles. That's the full title of the book. We just call it Acts for short. In the ninth chapter, we had the story of the conversion of Saul, who would one day be called Paul and was the, the, the greatest missionary in the early church, would reach the, the Gentile, the Roman world in ways that um, the, the other apostles probably never would have dreamed of in their lifetime. And after that, we have this story of Peter, who needed to also be ready to take the gospel, or at least approve of the gospel, going to the Gentile world. But he wasn't there yet, and he wasn't ready yet, so God again intervened. God intervened in Saul's life for that amazing transformation. God intervened now in Peter's life. And it began with a dream in a man, of a man named Cornelius that God gave. And Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a, a, a commander of Roman centurions, living in a place called Caesarea. A very Gentile and Greek man, and yet he loved God, he cared for the poor, and he was well respected by everyone in the city, including the Jews in that city. That's the man that God gave the dream to, to send for a man named Peter down the coast in a place called Joppa. And Peter simultaneously had a dream about a sheet coming down from heaven and animals clean and unclean according to the law of Moses on this sheet. And the voice of God saying, go ahead, kill and eat. Peter being a, a, a good devout Jew realized that he can't eat any of them. Even the, even the clean ones were now unclean because they were in the presence of unclean animals. And God said, what I have made clean is clean. What I have made pure is no longer impure. And this, this, this vision, this dream was repeated three times and Peter finally got it. And a man came to the door. The servant of Cornelius arrived just as that dream ended. And he knew it was from God. He knew now what he had to do. He knew as he went up to Caesarea and met Cornelius at his home with all of his family and all of his friends gathered with great anticipation of, of this, this man of the gospel, this leader in the church coming to their home. And he welcomed him to come on in and have a meal together and share with them. And that action alone was a violation of how his people would understand the law of Moses, that you're not supposed to go into the house of a Gentile, let alone eat with them. And that's exactly what Peter did. But Peter told them, I now understand that God, in God's eyes, in God's sight, no man, no person, no human being, man or woman, adult or child, is unclean in the eyes of God. 
No person is impure in the eyes of God. So every one of them is a candidate for the the love of God in Christ. And they need to know that love. And you, Peter, as the leader of the church, need to learn that and embrace that. And indeed, he did. So that's where the 11th chapter picks up. That they... The rest of the church now back in Jerusalem, how were they going to respond to Peter, whom they all respected very deeply? But what's going to happen? Now, I want to show you on a map, even if you can't see all of this, just look at the red. Now, this is the the Mediterranean Sea going around there. And um, over on the bottom right, that's where Jerusalem, Israel is. And you see the, the Joppa, Caesarea, that's where that's happened. Damascus is up there. Well, you're going to hear some names as we go forward here. Actually, some of that, that I read called Cyprus and Cyrene, Tarsus, Antioch. What I want you to just see from this map is how far away these are. Right? So um, on this side here, okay, this is Israel, that corner. Everything else is the Roman Empire, basically, and beyond. So, somehow, the gospel has gone a whole lot of places already. And it wasn't just what the apostles were doing. What we have here in our New Testament, following the four gospels, is the actions of the apostles. It's the story of how the church started at Pentecost and what happened after that. But it's focused on the apostles, especially on Peter and then on John, a little bit on James. And, and, and we have Paul who became an apostle later. So those are the main characters, the main features of, of this, this writing from Luke. But simultaneously, as, the church, as this is happening, these events we see recorded here, There's other stuff going on. The gospel is still moving on through completely other means, through other people who at first the apostles aren't even aware of. And you know what? God is okay with that. In fact, that's exactly how it's supposed to be. And and we'll see how and why that is is so important to, to each other here. The church united even as they changed. The church had to become united in this very controversial issue about how we treat the Gentiles, if we welcome them at all. And going forward, even after most of them maybe somewhat reluctantly, very reluctantly agreed, okay, they can be part of this Jesus thing too, but they're going to be less than us, or they have to follow our rules or live like we live. That's not... That's not the gospel, and and there's different steps where they had to learn that. But this was a really big one that Peter, their leader, was embracing now, the Gentiles, as recipients of the love of God through Jesus Christ. Transforming divisive controversy into unifying purpose. That's what we see in Acts chapter 11. And it begins with the will to listen to each other. So anytime you have a, a division in, in your life, in your, in your family, in um, your place of work, your community, neighbors, friends, whatever it might be, 
there, there's, there's something happening that, you know, you say this, I say that, and now we're going to butt heads about it. And in today's environment, if we're not careful, we see how fast it, it just grows. And, and, and what was a, what should really be a, a minor difference that perhaps we used to be able to agree to disagree and move on with life very quickly pushes people apart. Linda and I read an article recently. Um, I, I don't remember the title. I know it was in the Atlanta Magazine, but it was, on, it was online. Um, that focused upon how in the church today, and the church in America in particular, and as the church you know, across America, people are now putting their political stance ahead of their spiritual stance. They, pe- people define whether or not they will worship with, sit down with, communicate with, be friends with others based upon what side of a political divide they stand on. What used to be Christ first, his word, and then we can agree just about other things, has completely flipped around. I don't mean everyone thinks that way, but it, it is sadly more and more common in many places, and I'm sure some of you have run into exactly that. So how do we handle controversy, things that, that can divide, and turn them into something that unifies with purpose? Number one, the will to listen to each other. Now back to the beginning of Acts 11 now. So this is after Peter completed this journey to Caesarea and met with Cornelius and his family. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believer criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. So there's the problem. Exactly the way Peter knew it would would play out. He was first hesitant to, to not eat from those animals and not go into that home. Because you just don't do that. That's not obeying the law. And yet, in Christ, the law has been fulfilled. The law has been, has, been, has been set aside in a new law as it works. The law of love and welcoming others into this, this beautiful new kingdom that God is, is establishing in this world. And they have the blessing of being the establishers, or at least among them. But now there's this problem. Well, if you want to overcome the problem... And pick one in your own life, and pick one with a particular person, perhaps, or a group of people. The first way through is to listen to each other, to have the will to do so. That alone is rare. Usually, it's we, we, we see what's on the surface and we stop right there. Oh, well, you believe that, or you support that candidate, or you're on this side of that particular issue, or, you know, and, and sometimes even theological things too. You know, then I'm, I'm going to dismiss you. I'm going to ignore you. I might even um, come out against you, ridicule you because of that. And no listening happens. Well, to their credit, Peter comes back and they did something that probably angered and surprised the, the whole church back in Jerusalem. But unlike too many people today, they did Listen. He said, okay, Peter, tell us about it. And they listened. And they, so there was a will to understand. 
And then a will to, to tell the whole story. Verse 4 says, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. Now it goes on then from the fifth verse all the way down to the 17th verse. Peter is retelling something that was already told in the previous chapter. Now, Luke, the author, very easily, as an author, could have said, could have stopped right there at verse 4. And Peter told them the whole story about what happened with Cornelius and Caesarea and his dream, and then just jumped to the end. And that would be an appropriate way as a writer to, to tell the story. Oh, you already know that. But for whatever reason, in fact, I think a very good reason, Luke repeats it in detail. And, and as a reader, you're going through, hey, I already know this. Why are they repeating this? Well, repetition's a good teacher. And as, as you go through Acts, take notice of what is repeated. Because the, the, the repeating of things shows the great importance of it. it it's the re-emphasizing of something that God really wants not only them to get, to understand, to accept, but also... Us. So we, re, so we hear the, the familiar, already familiar words of what happened, and Peter describes that in these verses. And so they, they hear the whole story. And then down to that 17th verse, what, this is Peter's last words. So if God gave them the same gift he has given us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who am I to think that I could stand in God's way? Mm. In the 18th verse, here's how they responded. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They saw it. But they, they don't get there if they hadn't listened. And they don't listen if they hadn't have the will to listen. Brothers and sisters in Christ here, brothers and sisters watching wherever and whenever or listening in the podcast, are we really listening? The easy thing to do is to group someone as soon as you read or hear them make a particular statement or sway a particular way. Oh, well, that's it. They're in that group. I guess they're gone now. I guess we can't, I, I can't be friends with them anymore. Because, rather than, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. Hey, um, maybe we can get together. And, and, and by the way, I, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Um, studies have shown, neuroscience has shown, that the, the way that our mind, our brain, triggers things like, Empathy and compassion is through the ear, through something auditory. When you read a page, empathy is much less likely. Not impossible. You can certainly be moved to tears by something you read. But when you hear the voice behind the words, that triggers much more easily the tools that God gave us to use to come together again, to reconcile, to forgive. Why is it that social media is filled with so much anger? That's why. It's just words on a screen, on a phone, on a computer. 
And we are so quick to dismiss and, and delete and unfriend and whatever else we need to do because, well, they said that. I guess I'm not their friend anymore. I can't agree with them. Or worse than that, you engage in a way to try to convince them of why they're wrong and it gets wider and wider and wider. We need people that will come together personally, face to face, eye to eye, truly listen. That's how we get there. That's how um, we need to have a will to change your mind about God. I began with that statement about, about change and how God does not change, but we do. Now, we are all unholy vessels, right? Amen? We, we are all people, sinners saved by grace. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, a tool in the making. Um, all those various cliches, and they're helpful to just describe us as being people that love God but know that Hey, we're not perfect. God's still working on me. I'm on a journey here. When, when you go to Romans 12, 1, you read about uh, being, being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, well, the conforming to this world means you just use the tools and the means that the world uses. And so, you know, you can use, you can choose to use something like Facebook as a way to show how good or right I am, how wrong and bad they are, or you can use a different means altogether. You can be transformed, and really it is transforming. Is anyone sitting here today, anyone watching or listening at home, wherever you might be, are any of you fully transformed by the grace of God, like right now? Like, like God's done. Thanks, God. We're good. We'll see you in heaven. Anyone? Anyone? Raise that hand. Not me either. <laughs> we are all transforming. You know what that tells me? None of us has God all figured out. Not one of us. We have basic and important understandings and, and, and some principles that, that are very helpful and, and we stand on, on, on Jesus Christ, and he's crucified and risen again, and we believe that. But, but how that applies to life and the world and our decisions and our relationships and peoples and nations and situations that happen is not nearly as simple as people try to pretend that it is. You can pick any flashpoint issue our nation faces right now, and it just is not that easy. God doesn't want us to just dismiss someone because they don't line up right with my politics. Thank God for that. But how often am I tempted to fall into that same? And, and this can happen from the right or the left, okay? Neither of them are, you know, get off scot-free in this. So we need to have people who are willing to change your mind about God, willing to think differently about God. Let me give you one simple example. When, when I grew up, um, my family didn't go out to eat often, but we enjoyed it when we did. And um, we would never go to a restaurant with a bar in it. Just, nope, they have served drinks there, can't go there, okay? Even though we wouldn't have ordered a drink, and as a kid, obviously, I wouldn't, but my dad, to this day, never drinks. 
You know, so, so he wasn't going to decide that day he's going to have a beer, okay? But, not, and not just my family. I'm not, I'm not certainly not picking on my mom and dad. And they, they might be listening too, so I have to be careful, all right? <laughs> Hi, Mom, love you. But that was the way, that was the base understanding of our culture, of our church culture. Not only do you not drink alcohol, you don't go to places that serve alcohol. Now, in time, okay, is that really what matters? Yeah, we can still enjoy the food at a good restaurant. Sure, they're serving beer over there. The people at the next table have a glass of wine, whatever. Okay, that's not going to pull me into it. I'm, I'm good with this, and we can enjoy food together. Or when you go to a wedding banquet, you know, that's the harder one. You're there with, with friend or family, and, you know, they're, they're serving drinks, having a good time. Okay, great, let's have a good time. You're going to have a good time with your beer. I'm going to have a good time without one. And we're having a good time together. You see, you see, that's, but when we make a rule as if that's my, my faith itself is dependent upon where I go to, what restaurant I go to, and whether or not I have a drink. And by the way, I'm not putting down drinking entirely either. We'll cover that one another day, okay? But what I'm saying is don't major in the minors. It just, and that's what the church had to learn here. It's, you can go to those houses. It's okay. God loves them too. And God used Peter to help them to learn that. So this is how you can take something that divides and then change the way you think, renewing your mind and think better about God's priorities, God's real priorities about the circumstance. And then secondly, back to the end of the chapter now, which I began with, the church grew with and without the apostles. The church grew after Stephen's death. I have the, the time markers here. Um, if you can't see that at home, it's, it's uh, 32 AD is when about, these are approximate, when, when Stephen was, was martyred, stoned to death in the streets of Jerusalem. So that was an important time marker. Now, it tells us here, um, back to the 19th verse of Acts 11. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. So Stephen was killed, and then the, the Jews that did that felt emboldened to do more of it. And people rightly ran. I mean, you, you don't want to have your family killed. And God wanted them to return to where they were. Now, a lot of them apparently had stayed in Jerusalem since Pentecost, which was a long time ago. And they only came to Pentecost to celebrate a feast, be there, you know, a week, maybe more than that, and then go back home. Well, they stayed. They lingered. Why? Because church was fun. <laughs> wow, this is great. It's growing every day. Look at this. We're part of something big. And, and the people were loving each other and helping each other and sharing their needs and, 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 and making sure no one had, was going hungry. And all of that was happening. And it was just so exciting to be a part of it. And no one wanted to leave. And I don't blame them for that. But that wasn't what they were called to be and do and, and to become. So eventually they went. And when they went, if you can picture the map for a moment, they went back to their homes. And they took that message and that love and they told their community where they lived. Hey, I went to Jerusalem. This awesome thing happened. Let me tell you about it. And they told their story and more believed and more believed. And it tells us that, that they increased in numbers. Now, when they, when they went, some of them only went to Jews first. But then it specifically mentions people, and these were some of the farthest reaches on that map, from a place like Cyrene, which is in North Africa, basically, 
on the you know, southern coast of the Mediterranean Sea, those people were among the first to go all the way back to Antioch to reach Greek people. And that was happening without the apostles' permission or consent or approval or any of that. Do you see how important that is? That was happening um, at the same time Peter was learning his lessons and Paul was called and we had those stories about Philip and, and, and all of that was going on simultaneously. Because if you jump down to number three here, you'll see that in the same section of Scripture in Acts 11, it's now the year 46. So he mentions the, the death of Stephen in 32 and now it's 46. So we got 14 or so years since Stephen was killed during those 14 years, this was going on. And it was going on without the apostles apparently even knowing about it in most cases. And you know what? That's okay. Because it's the work of the Spirit. Now, it doesn't say then that we don't need the structure of the church and there shouldn't be anybody in charge and we don't need apostles. No, it doesn't say that either. What it means is we've got to keep those two things in balance. A church needs structure or a church has authority, but unfortunately in church history, church authority sometimes overrides what the Spirit wants to do and becomes very suppressing to people and, and, and you know, very controlling. And, um, and, and there's so much evidence of that not just in Christianity, but in many religions, once you have an authority structure that has power, especially, now hear this, especially when that church authority connects with political authority, then you've got a double whammy that only produces oppression. It doesn't produce disciples. And so what God has in mind is Let's have a structure. Let's have leaders. Let's have the right people in those places. But, oh, by the way, if I want to keep something going over here through another means and without you, that's okay too. So when the apostles found out what's going on, they wanted to, it was okay that they checked it out. Now, if they came into these situations with an attitude like, all right, what's going on here? You didn't ask us about this. What's your excuse? You better have a good reason for reaching these people for Jesus and loving them before you asked us. No, thankfully they didn't do that. So Barnabas is sent there, verse 22. He's sent down to see what's going on. He's sent to see, see what's happening in Antioch. And it says he was encouraged. Now, do you remember earlier in Acts, you know what the meaning of the name Barnabas is? Encourager. Son of encouragement. This is what he was all about. He, he's the guy that, that got... Peter, excuse me, got, got Saul to go to the apostles because they were afraid of him. And there was good reason for that. But Barnabas had met with him and said, no, this guy's okay. He, he really has changed. And, and trust me. And they did trust Barnabas. He was the one that, that opened up the way. So it tells us then that uh, he went back to look for Saul. Now, here again, think about the time involved here. It was 14 years since Stephen's death, and, and Saul was there when that happened, and it wasn't that long after that, maybe a year or two at the most, when Saul was converted. And so, you, so you're looking at a minimum of 10, more like 12 or more years since Saul's conversion 
He's in Tarsus. Now, he's still probably preaching and leading and learning, most importantly. But he hasn't gone out into the world and preached the gospel. At least not the rest of the world just yet. So Barnabas goes and looks for him, and they work together in Antioch. And you know what? Now, now what, what, what Stephen, excuse me, Barnabas finds out when he gets to Antioch is the church is growing. He stays there, he preaches, and the ch- it says the church grew in number. And then when he brought Saul back to Antioch, the church, same thing happened. As Barnabas and Saul worked together, the church grew even more. It was like they made a good team, those two guys, and, you know, kind of keep that tucked away because that's coming. You know, Barnabas and Saul preaching the gospel together. God's going to do some really great things. And he was doing all of that. And then it tells us, as kind of an aside, but I think an important one, that this place, Antioch, and again, on the map, if you can picture the Mediterranean Sea, think of the the northeast corner of of the Mediterranean. And, And then inland, a little ways, is where Antioch is. It's up out of Israel. There was still a Jewish community there, but probably more more Greeks than Jews, but that's the place where the word Christian was first used. Not in Jerusalem, not in Judea. It was used there, and I think that was very intentional on God's part because they had to get rid of whatever, I'm not trying to think of the right word, whatever stigma there was about this just being a Jewish thing or or the way people would perceive it. Oh yeah, this Jewish thing, some prophet came and supposedly rose from the grave or, you know, people would hear that and and act very cynically about it. But so if Jerusalem remained the center of things, now that's the place that became Christians, that would make it harder to reach the rest of the world because that's just those Jews down there. They only believe in one God, and look what's happening to them. And furthermore, the clock was ticking for Jerusalem. Jesus predicted a time when, when um, Jerusalem would be destroyed. And in Matthew, in Matthew 25-ish, I think, give or take a chapter, Jesus talks about that. And too often we take that entire discourse that Jesus speaks in those, those chapters and plug it into future things. Here's what's going to happen in the end. And while some of that does fit that, not all of it does. Because a good deal of what Jesus was talking about there was the destruction of Jerusalem that happened within 40 years of Jesus saying that when the Romans came in and destroyed the city and dismantled the temple. Now, to the mind of the Greek world, if your temple is destroyed, then your God is meaningless, weak, wimpy, nothing. All right? So, if Christians are too attached to Jerusalem and Judea in the mind of the people, then that's what they're going to think of, especially after that city was destroyed, especially after that temple was destroyed. And so, once that's over, then, well, I guess that's going away. But if the center of what's happening is spreading out, and the center isn't based on a place, and the temple isn't a building, the temple is the people, and the temple is the church, that's a whole different ballgame. That's a whole different way of understanding God and ourselves that the, the people embraced, that they loved, that this is different. It wasn't like all those gods they worship and have idols in their house, in their backyard, and they go to a, a temple in their town only because everyone else expects them to be there, and it makes good business sense for be, to be there because my buddies that I want to strike a deal with are there, and those among many, many other reasons they would be a part of that. 
Now it's different. Antioch becomes the center, if you will, of Christianity. Not in, in a, not like, not like Rome became to the Catholic Church. Okay, now it could that could have happened. All right. But it was, you have to have some place where there is organization. And so you'll see as you go forward into Acts how Antioch, and geographically it makes more sense because it's further up around the coast, further toward Rome. And all those peninsulas that branch off of the Mediterranean and the travel paths. And so Antioch would become kind of the home headquarters, the base, if you will. And then the last thing we see in this passage um, is the church cared and shared. <clears throat> Agabus was a, a prophet that came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and then he, through the Spirit, he said there's going to be a famine in the Roman Empire. Now, I mentioned earlier how time markers that Luke uses, the most commonly remembered one is... Um, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that there shall be um, a tax upon all the people. That's the beginning of Luke 2, the story of the birth of Jesus. But it was Caesar Augustus. So there's a time cue. So who's Caesar now? Claudius. And outside sources from the Bible, historical sources, have verified that there was indeed a famine in the Roman Empire during the reign of Claudius. So that puts everything that's happening here in this 11th chapter into that framework of Claudius, he reigned from the year 41 to the year 54. And so that's when it happened. That's how, that, that's how we know this famine happened. Now, the, the churches got together, basically, and sent messages out about caring for those in need during a famine. Now, during a famine, everyone's in need to some extent, but some places more than others, some people more than others. The Christians back in Judea, and especially in Jerusalem, were among the most needy, even if the famine was indeed literally across the entire Roman Empire, there they didn't have as much water. Their things didn't, didn't grow. Irrigation, if they had it at all, was harder. And, and so famines made life very difficult in Jerusalem. Add to that the fact that the, the Christians in Jerusalem were looked down upon by the rest of the Jews in Jerusalem. So if there's limited food, guess who gets it last? The Christians. So the rest of the church throughout the world made sure that they were taken care of. And, and so that's exactly what they did. That's what churches do to this day, don't we? If there's a church in need within our community, churches come together and help them. A great example. The, this room was partly put together... <laughs> painted and, and things done by uh, a, a team of people from the Reformed Church. They came and spent an entire Saturday, and I forget exactly what phase we were at. It's all blurred to me right now. You know, but it was very important work, and they had a whole bunch of volunteers. And then another time, there was a church from our denomination, from the Reading area, who came up for a whole weekend. Some of you remember that and helped us. That's uh, the Moans Hill Church in, in um, outside, just... South of Reading. <laughs> and so that's churches helping churches. Churches helping churches locally. Churches helping churches worldwide. Brothers and sisters in need. And we're ready to meet the need. And, and so we praise God for that. So I hope today that, that something about this has, 
drawn you to have the desire to grow in your life so that the church can grow. Because the, the, the church itself doesn't just grow somehow automatically or spontaneously without the, the church members, and, and members in, in, in the most important sense, that is the, the believers in Christ, growing themselves. If, if, if I'm not growing, then in some small but important way, the church of Jesus Christ in this world isn't growing. And if I'm living in such a way that discourages growth among my fellow believers, then there's more people that are being impacted and growing less how the church needs to grow and to reach people. And so that's my, that's my challenge today for all of us is that we have, have a willingness to, to listen to others whom we disagree with and to hear their story and, and to see what really matters the most. Father, thank you for your word. May it go forth in our hearts and our lives and our homes and our communities. With your blessing, we pray. Amen.